Hello and welcome to the Messages and Methods Livecast Life 2.0 Livestream Podcast, hosted by Encore Entrepreneurs Shelley Carney and Toby Eunice. We inspire excitement for content creation and marketing your brand and business while answering all your technology and digital marketing questions. We love to help you, our content creator friends, with actionable tips to land more clients, nurture leads, and gain trust as an expert in your industry. Chat with Shelley and Toby live every Thursday on YouTube or Facebook. Hello and welcome to Messages and Methods. I'm Shelley Carney. And I'm Joe Beutis. And today we're going to be talking about listening to your audience to create better content. As a content creator, it's important that we create content that people want to watch and consume. And the best way to do that is to just get started and then start to perfect it and then ask your audience. What do you want to see? And you can do this either passively, you can review chat room comments, or you can do it actively and you could schedule events specifically for the purpose of getting more information about what your audience thinks about you and your programming. So we're going to go over the five keys to listening to your audience to create better content. So number one, why should we listen to our audience? Well, we want to tap into the needs of our viewers because if they give us input, feedback, and then we use that feedback in, in maybe they ask us for something specific. I want to see more content where you're going out into New Mexico and filming the outdoors. And we do that the very next day. Then those people know that we listen to them and we care about their opinions. So that increases their loyalty to that channel and to us, which can lead to sales and an increase in referrals. They may recommend our channel, our content, or whatever it is that we do to their friends and family because they're enjoying it so much. And they can also say, I asked for them to go do this and they did this. Look at it, how great it is. Look at my idea and how great it turned out for them. So it increases that loyalty and leads to sales and referrals. Anytime you come in contact with your viewers, you are coming in contact with prospective customers as well. What's important about this initial contact with your viewers is that it might be the starting point for building a more expansive relationship with them. Uh, and that's why you should invest a little bit of time and looking at this alternative, these alternatives that Shelley has talked about in, uh, as, the as a necessary part of listening to your audience. So the nice thing about that is they're already there. You're not, you're not prospecting here. Your audience already exists. You know who you're talking to, and they know who they're listening to. So what is the process for deciding what content you're going to be creating and sharing? Um, number one, of course, is to define your target audience. Who do you want in your audience? Uh, Maybe you want to speak to encore entrepreneurs, people of a certain age uh, in the retirement years, people who are interested in uh, traveling and going outdoors and seeing the sites, something like that. So define who that is that you want to talk to. Then begin to research the topics 
that you believe that audience would be most interested in learning about and something that you love to learn about as well so that you can share that knowledge with them. Uh, Present that content weekly so that you continue to get good practice at presenting the content, creating the content, gathering it up and sharing it out. And uh, people will begin to know that you're showing up weekly and they'll show up weekly. Then ask for feedback and uh, get, get that feedback and find out, do you like this? Do you want more of it? Do you not like it? What else would you like to see? And that's going to help to guide you in the right direction. And then you want to also check your analytics and make sure that um, you are doing the best that you can to attract an audience. So one of the things that um, that surrounds this process of content selection is the idea that you should be as excited about producing your content as your audience is about watching your content. Don't try to fool yourself into believing that you can produce content that that is, uh, what, what's the word, um, the same as everyone else, right? You're, you're modeling yourself after other content producers. You have to produce the content that's most exciting uh, f- to you in order for your audience to believe that it becomes exciting for them as they live vicariously through your exploits. Exploits. I like exploits. <laughs> so how do we gather feedback? There are several different methods and this is the five keys, but then I kind of give you a bonus key. Um, number one, we start with a survey. That's just asking people to uh, fill out a form about what they like and don't like and what works for them. Or you can do it through the live chat. If you're doing a live stream, just ask people, what do you like? Um, You know, and get that feedback in the live chat. You can get feedback through email by sending out questions um, and having people email you back. You can use a focus group. Uh, You can do social listening and analytics. Social listening and analytics are kind of off by themselves because you're not actually talking directly to people. You're kind of just reading their comments or you're looking at how many people showed up uh, to watch a video and at what point did most people leave the video and that sort of thing to analyze the content uh, in that way without actually speaking one-on-one with people. Off topic, I just noticed that your Bitmoji Shelly has AGK's colors on. That's right. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And the shoes. Look at the shoes. Nice shoes. (laughs) Nice uh, nice shoes. So um, one of the things that Shelly mentioned is your ability to what back in the olden days we used to call uh, open source intelligence collection. And that is using what's out there uh, from Google search to YouTube to Pinterest to find out what your audience is looking at and thinking about in order to put your whatever communication you have with them and get more detailed information from them in context. So what you'd like to hear from your audience is something similar to at least related to what you've discovered as a result of your open source intelligence collection, social uh, social listening and analytics is what Shelley refers to it, it's here, but it requires you doing that in order to give everything else some sense of context. That's right. So let's start with a survey. Um, You can use a Google survey or a Google form 
and that's free. You don't have to pay anything for that. Or you could uh, sign up for SurveyMonkey. They have a free level. You can try that. Uh, there's there's a lot of different products out there that you can use to create a survey or uh, create just a form that people can fill out and then send them to that uh, by promoting it, right? So if you're doing a live show, you can say, please go uh, fill out my survey and it's only three questions and, you know, um, and we're going to take it down on such and such a day. So set a deadline for them to go answer that survey so that you can get, uh, you know, get started on analyzing that information and then offer an incentive to them to complete it. So you could say, you know what, if you answer this survey, then I'm going to give you a free download or I'm going to, you know, whatever it is uh, that you can offer them. If, if it's really an important one and it's valuable to you, you could even offer them, you know, like I'll give you a $10 Amazon gift card or a, or we'll have a drawing for a $50 gift card from all the people who answer, something like that, some kind of an incentive to get people to feel like, okay, well, I'll spend the five minutes to go answer this survey so that I have, you know, so that I can get this incentive. So sometimes it doesn't take uh, necessarily take an incentive uh, for them to have uh, to complete a survey because it's in their best interest. And I'll give you two examples. Every time I shop at Walmart, uh, they know me well enough, the cards that I use, et cetera. They have my email address because I'm a Walmart customer shopper thing. And uh, I get Frequent an email. Shopper. Yeah, I get an email afterwards. It says, um, take our survey and, and enter. You'll be entered into the opportunity to win $1,000. Uh, if you take our survey, and it's a thousand dollars worth of shopping at Walmart, of course, it's not it's not cash, and I find that I, I find it almost offensive. Like you know, I, I I give you my money basically. You give me some product, you make a profit. You're happy, I'm happy. Yes, there are things that make me mad, but it's not worth me getting into a survey. And besides, when I take your survey, you never ask me the right questions anyway, right? They're, they're questions that are very self-serving. Mm. On the other hand, and I'm going to get here's the counter example. Shelly and I ran a program on the Force Fen Treasure. Many of you already know this for several years. And after the first year, we decided one of the things that we wanted to do was find out what people thought, not only about the content that we were producing, but what they thought about the treasure hunt, you know, how they saw it, their opinions on the matter. And I think the first, uh, the first one of those surveys uh, had 350 or so responses, uh, responses, and it grew every year after that to the extent that it became so credible a survey, we were being contacted by um, journalists uh, to ask them, uh, to ask us if we would share the survey information with them. Of course we did. We actually, we would have a show after the survey was completed. We'd keep the survey active for 30 years. We'd promote it on every one of our programs. And then, uh, and then at the end, um, I said 30 years, I meant 30 days. Uh, and at the end of the 30 days, we'd have a show where we shared that research with them. Uh, the deal that we had with them is if you wanted a copy of the survey, uh, to be sent to you as soon as completed so that you can analyze it. We would send you a copy of the survey as well as the data we collected independent of any personal information. And all you had to do was provide your, the last question was, would you like to, would you like a copy of the survey? Please provide your email. So it was completely optional. I would say about half the respondents 
would say that they wanted the email and we didn't do anything else. We didn't add it to our email list. There was a second question. Would you like us to add you, add uh, you to our email list? If you fill in the above, if you fill in the above request for your email address and about half of them would say yes. And we started using it to build email. But what was important is not only were we learning, learning about our clients, we were learning about the market and what drove the markets and what people's opinions were. And what was fun about it is it kind of reinforced things that we already knew. Number one, it reinforced the fact that the significant majority of our audience was male versus female. And then a significant majority of our audience was 46 and over, uh, which told us how to characterize our content where we weren't, we weren't, uh, we weren't promoting ourselves to the 18 to 25 you know, pop age group, we had people in our age group that were interested in the content that we're producing. So we made sure that we satisfied their needs, right, um, in, in producing our content. So that was one of the things that, and we only did it once a year, uh, but it was one of the things that drove our content development for the following year, the year that followed the survey. And it was one of the better things that we did on that channel. Um, so there's ways to use these things, a survey especially, that not only provides you information about your audience, but information about how your audience views you. And when you structure it, and all we did, is, as Shelly suggested, suggested before, was we used a Google form. And a Google form has a survey feature on it, and it collects all the data. It puts it in a spreadsheet for you if you want to manipulate the data and to look at it in, and to look at it in other ways. But I think every year we would make one or two small improvements in the survey. Like we decided to add uh, Yellowstone National Park as a location independent of the four uh, search states, uh, Montana, Wyoming, uh, Colorado, and New Mexico. We decided to add Yellowstone as its own kind of independent search area just to see what people thought. So it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed looking at the data and I enjoyed sharing it with our audience. And I think the audience was surprised to see the level of quality, it was credible, you know, when you have that many respondents in a single survey, where your audience isn't that big, it's not hundreds of thousands of people, it's thousands of people, and you get 300 to 400, sometimes 500 responses. Uh, that's a significant response set. And you can actually make uh, judgments on how your programming is going to go from there. Surveys are a very, very good tool. Uh, to get this information out. Yeah. And in that particular case, the people who were answering the survey were also <clears throat> very interested in the final results. Yeah. Um, so that last thing on the banner, it should be actually course.livecast.life rather than course.education. I'm going to change that while you're talking, okay? So. <laughs> All right. So another way to gather information is through your live chat. So if you're doing a live stream every week, like we do, showing up weekly and promoting people to show up live to ask questions and share their feedback, then you encourage their engagement, ask them to write into the chat what they're thinking, um, what they want to know more about. And that is another way for you to get that information from the people who are actually watching your content. So they have already seen what you're producing. They know what they like. They know they want what they want more of, and they can tell you that in the live chat. They can tell you that on your video comments. Um, they can comment on the platform, the social media platform where your video is streaming. Um, so there's a lot of ways that they can 
easily share their opinion, just writing into the chat or into the comments. And that is a very frictionless way for them to engage with you and let you know, I would like to see more of this. Um, I have a question about that. And then you can direct your content to fit their needs. And you want to do that for the people who are showing up for you, right? They're there. They care about this. They want uh, to learn from you. They have a great interest in your topic. So you definitely want to make sure you pay attention to what they're saying and call them out and say, thank you so much and give their name and say, I'm definitely going to be talking about that and then follow through, follow through on those comments. And that's the important part of building that loyal audience. One of the features that's uh, beneficial to this in StreamYard is that when you get a comment, and I just posted a, a, an example, is you can put that comment up on the screen. And not only are you using it as a, a method for engaging the, uh, uh, the person that asked the question in the chat, but you're also highlighting that this question is an important one to the other members of the audience. And you, what you'll see invariably is follow-ups like, oh, I saw that she asked this question. I'd like to ask this question related to that. So it starts a process of a kind of real-time engagement that as you analyze afterwards, you get more sense of what your audience is thinking about. And indirectly, they're not, they're not directly asking you to do this, but when they talk about these things, they are indirectly asking you uh, to, to do something or to change uh, something. That's why it becomes so important. Yeah. Uh, the next one is feedback through email. This is something that we have always encouraged um, our viewers to email us. We put our email everywhere. Support at agkmedia.studio. And we have it on the crawl on all of our videos. We have it in all of the description boxes. We have it on our social media. We have it everywhere so that people can easily reach out to us by email and ask questions or offer their opinions. And people do that and we pay attention to it. Now, when people do give you that feedback, maybe you are sending them to a survey in an email newsletter, say, please go fill this out. And you're asking for specific information here's a question, here's a question, here's a question, and they answer those. You want to follow through on that by reading it and responding to those people who have given you their input. Thank you for your input. Uh, it means a lot to me, and I'm going to incorporate your ideas in this manner. You know, if you let them know how you're going to use their advice, they're much more likely to continue giving you their advice in the future. They feel valued, they feel heard, so they'll keep coming back to you. Um, the email, giving them the opportunity to reach out through email also means that if you have people that aren't comfortable with the live chat, they're, they're, uh, or they can't show up at that time. Right. That, that was reason. the other point that I was going to yeah. make. So if they're not comfortable with the live chat because they just want to alert or they don't see your video until afterwards, that rather than making a comment on the video, they can keep it private and send you an email. And we don't have any problem. We get very productive emails. There's sometimes where we look at them and we go like, ah, we don't, that's not something that we're interested in or uh, not, that's not important to our audience. And that's kind of the measurement. But we do get a lot of emails from regular viewers who give us advice on what they think we should be doing. And, the, and so we have a couple that are very blunt about it. And I'm always amazed at kind of how, 
blunt they are. And at first I was kind of offended, like, how is this your business? And then I realized, no, they're just trying to give us information that we can use uh, to improve the quality of our content. And that's how you have to look at it. Now, you're going to get some that's kind of offhanded uh, criticism. It's not constructive criticism. It's just whining. Uh, and that's okay. Uh, you still make that email address available to all your viewers so that they can uh, engage with you at their own time and with their own level of intensity, whatever that is. Um, but we have some very, you know, we have some very sophisticated viewers who, when they see us talking about something, we get an email that says, no, we want you to know that, you know, don't go away. Sometimes we'll get people who are like, we're thinking about stuff and we need to know what to do with our lives. And the first fear that we get in response with emails is, look, just whatever you do, don't leave, right? <laughs> the community wants to see you figure out to do something. If you want to do a clown show, fine, but just don't leave, you know? So it's exciting to get that kind of uh, kind of response from our audience because yeah. it says they, there's other other things they like about us than just we're on Wednesday, you know, Wednesday evenings and Thursday afternoons. That's right. Another way to gather information is through a focus group. Um, I'm going to quickly cover this because Toby has a lot more experience uh, with focus groups and running them than I do. But uh, what you can do as a small business, uh, the way we are, is you can have a private Zoom group invitation go out through your email. This is what we did. We also talked about it on the live stream and let people know this is coming. Look for the invitation. And then uh, include everyone on your email list. Say everyone's invited and it's going to be a private Zoom. It's not going to go out on, you know, it, it, or be recorded or anything like that. And then have specific questions that you're going to ask them and then follow up with them. If you're going to use their suggestion, send them an email or, you know, in some way, call them out on during the show and say, you know, Lorraine gave us some really great feedback and we're going to follow through on that. And we're going to do it because we believe Lorraine gave a lot of really good um, information, a lot of good of ideas, and she's been with us for a really long time. So she knows. So follow up in some way by uplifting that person who gave you that feedback. So as many of you know, I spent a career in Washington, D.C., um, first as an employee of the federal government, the National Security Agency, and then as an independent contractor. But my business, my and, and I was independent, I was a sole proprietor, my business evolved over the years. So I started out as an independent contractor. And then as businesses that I would work with, notice that's what I do, they wanted advice on marketing to other businesses. And then later on that transitioned into uh, larger and larger uh, technical businesses were moving into the Washington areas, establishing offices, Microsoft, Oracle, Sybase. I could just go off and name them. And they were moving their some uh, uh, some of their employees or, or hiring, building a new business in Washington specifically to sell to the federal government. So that changed some consulting that I did rather than as an independent contractor. Suddenly, I was consulting two businesses that wanted to do business with the government. And that involved into a very evolved eventually into a very specific niche of advising businesses, uh, private businesses, how to do business with the intelligence community, which is a whole different branch. They have a whole, whole different set of regulations. As a result, I had to work, I had the opportunity to work with some big companies like Oracle and Microsoft, et cetera. 
And one of the things that they wanted to do was how do we wanted to know was how do we engage with the federal government? And this was, of course, pre-Zoom and all these other products that provided us the expansive uh, video conferencing capabilities that we have today. Now, they did come on board the late 90s or early 2000s, but they were rather archaic. They were primitive in some ways. So it didn't make for good focus groups, but I discovered that one of the, the things that government employees liked was getting out of the office and going someplace where they could speak their minds. And so to, to, uh, to some degree, uh, the first thing that I would have my client who was a business, who was a private business, a, you know, corporation do was establish a room specifically for doing focus group meetings. And I was always surprised at how cooperative they were. So give us the design. Now you got to remember as a consultant, I'm making income from just advising them on what to do with these things. And then I'm helping to build focus group meeting rooms with mirror, you know, one way mirrors and, and, and uh, things like this. And then I realized, well, this is an opportunity for as these customers, because uh, government customers are very sensitive to being sold to. They, they don't like it because they have rules that prevent them from having that direct sales contact. So I uh, developed a methodology for inviting them to a focus group that was very much related to something that was important to federal government employees, not necessarily the contractors, but the federal government employees bring them in. I realized that you can't offer them money. You can't give, say, I'll give you $25, you come in, because that's against the law. You can't can't do that to a government employee. But if you have a nice, you know, breakfast, what do they call it? Continental breakfast spread, that's okay. Because what you do is you put an empty basket there and they have the opportunity to add a $1 or $5 or $10. And that way they're not, it's not a gift. It's you're, they're actually paying for their breakfast. But it was also an opportunity during that period to bring in some of the sales representatives that, that uh, the way they broke up their market segments was by agency. So if there were employees from the Department of Agriculture, the uh, sales manager and sales rep responsible for the Department of Agriculture would spend some time with breakfast at them, just getting to know each other, sharing some business cards and things like that. But what was most important was my responsibility to engage these folks in conversation because, again, it's very hard to get these government employees to talk about what they're experiencing, what they're doing. And what I discovered is that you just need to give them the time. So like all interviews, you'd ask open-ended questions. It wasn't, they weren't survey questions like what percentage of you do this? They were open-ended questions that let them talk about and go around the room. And what was amazing to me is the variety of opinions that were expressed. One person would be perfectly okay with this strategy. And there would be a person across the table from them saying, uh, I would never do anything like that, you know, and they would, it was always in a very polite way, you know, they would refer to themselves as Mr. This and Mr. or Mrs. That or Miss That. And, um, but they would be open and honest with you. And um, at the same time, there was a camera behind that uh, one way mirror that was filming them. And we told them that there was just for research purposes, et cetera. And the, the amount of information that you got was based on the, the way that you asked the questions and what direction you took in either making them comfortable or uncomfortable. The benefit that you have nowadays is you don't have to have a special room. You don't have to have a one-way mirror. You don't have to have a camera set up. You can invite them. They don't have to leave the comfort of their desk or their 
uh, at home or at the office, and they can have that conversation with other people listening. If you ask permission to record it, you can record it on the screen so there's no cameras set up anyplace. And you get a wealth of knowledge and understanding from them about how they see you. Focus groups to me, uh, because it, it, it takes a concerned viewer, in our case, a concerned customer, to show up at that focus group. If people don't show up at your focus group requests, you can take that one of two ways. Either what, what you're doing is absolutely over the top wrong or over the top right. Everybody's happy with what you're doing. I mean, you can take it in one of two ways. That shouldn't prevent you from having focus group meetings because a focus group meeting is not only an opportunity for you to collect additional intelligence, and forgive me for using that word because that's what it is. You're collecting face-to-face -face human intelligence is what it's called in, the, uh, in our industry, human. Uh, you're co collecting intelligence from the people that you're serving, uh, however you're doing it, whether it's having a program like this or whether you're selling software to the federal government through via uh, federal uh, government contracts. So they're an important part of what you do, an important part of establishing contact, an important part of getting them even further to like you. Because when we have this one situation, Shelly and I can talk all afternoon here. And if you don't put anything in the chat, then we don't have the benefit of your conversation. And that's kind of, a, it's, it's almost a one-way medium with the exception of the chat. And that's not, to me, that's not two-way. You can, you can use it that way, but it's not having a face-to-face -face conversation with someone in a focus group with other people around who are stimulated by the uh, conversation and have their own things to say about it. And you give everyone a chance to talk. And you'll learn as you just watch their faces whether they have something to say or not. And you manage it. They don't, you don't allow them to talk over each other. You don't allow them to get into arguments. It's your responsibility to make sure that the focus group, the time spent in a focus group is productive for everyone in that focus group. All the, everyone that attends, you, the people who you're working for in terms of uh, your customer, if you have one like I used to, uh, but I, I love focus groups. I think they're the best thing in the world. Uh, because I get to ask questions and they have no problem answering uh, those questions. One of the things that's unique about being a content creator who's doing weekly shows like we do is sometimes people see us over the years and they think of us as kind of stars or, you know, celebrities, very minor celebrities, but celebrities. So to be invited to speak with us is is a privilege to them or an honor, something that they uh, find to be, you know, an exciting proposition. So they'll show up just to spend time with you if they have gotten to know you from uh, live videos. And neither of us think of ourselves in that way. We never have, but it's always a surprise. To, and, it, and so therefore it is always a surprise to us when people say, I'm just happy to be in the same room, meaning the Zoom room, mm -hmm. of course, with you guys. You're so amazing, et cetera, et cetera. And to us, it, I, I don't want to say that it's embarrassing. We don't want it to be embarrassing for either one of us. We're always surprised by it. Like, no, eh, we're just kind of average guys. You know, I put on my pant legs, my pants, two legs at a time. Like everybody, well, no, one, what's that saying? I don't know. You never wear pants. So. Oh, okay. She, <laughs> you never wear You don't see the bottom half. What do you know? <laughs> <laughs> Focus people on the podcast, they don't know if you even get That's, anything. Yeah, anything yeah, yeah, yeah. We could be <laughs> naked here to the people in the Who podcast. Knows? Who knows? Who would know? 
social listening. What is social listening? Well, you can go to forums like Reddit or other places where people are commenting on things uh, that is something that you're talking about. So if your content centers around, um, I don't know, watermelon, you could go to a forum where people talk about watermelon and see what they have to say about it. Do they like it? What kind do they like? You know, and just get all the research in that way by just reading what they're saying. And then maybe asking a question every now and then uh, to get more specific about that information. Um, then there's social media posts. You can put up a post and ask a question, do a poll. Uh, there's, you know, all the platforms offer you that ability to do a poll, you know, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You can put up a poll and ask people's opinion on something and get their uh, engagement on that. You can follow hashtags. So if there's a specific hashtag that you use a lot, like we use content marketing a lot, we could follow that hashtag uh, content marketing. And then we could go look at different things that are being said about it and get that information and um, compile that information so that we know here's what, here's where people, what the trends are. Here's what people are talking about. Here's what people are asking questions about. Here's what people want to know. Follow those hashtags. Look for engagement. So if you're putting up a poll and nobody's answering it, or if you're putting up a post and it gets no engagement, then you know people aren't, aren't interested in that or it's some the way that you said it wasn't interesting to them. So you want to focus on posts, uh, videos, any kind of content that you put out that gets the most engagement. You want to really focus on why did people engage with that? What was it about that? How can I expand on that to get more engagement in the future from this particular topic? And then post frequently, right? You want to post at least a couple times a week. A couple times a day is even better if you uh, want to go that route. Um, and and just see what that's, you know, the more frequently you post, the more different things you post, the more you can figure out who's engaging with what kind of posts. Uh, don't forget, and Shelly uses these really, really well. She uses products that enable that will generate posts uh, for her on the different platforms like Facebook, Instagram, uh, et cetera. But again, social listening to me uh, is a precursor to what is referred to as social engineering. And social engineering is the actions you take to uh, uh, solidify, to, to increase the quality of the relationship between you and your viewers. Social listening, from, as I said earlier, uh, back in the olden days, was uh, open source intelligence collection. So what you're doing is you're looking at all these places where your uh, perspective, your audience or your perspective audience gathers to talk with one another. And you're basing, basically looking at it to see what information you can get about it, that you can get out of it that enables you to improve the quality and integrity of your content. So don't be embarrassed about that. It's, the social media is out there for a reason. And people have gotten progressively more confident in what they're posting to social media, sometimes to their own detriment, of course. But, uh, but social media is a good tool for you uh, to be able to use in order to find out about your either perspective or active uh, market. Yes. And lastly, we have analytics. Now, all of your social platforms are going to offer some kind of analytics. YouTube, uh, your podcast host, we use Anchor. They'll have your analytics on your podcast. LinkedIn has uh, analytics uh, if you're doing a newsletter, if you have a company page. 
uh, a website offers you analytics most of the time. Um, WordPress blog will offer you analytics. So when you have analytics to look at, look at them and, and make some determinations about what content is working well, you know, statistically, uh, what people are liking, what people are, you know, reading and showing up for and sharing. That's all important. Keep a spreadsheet with important metrics that you're going to be measuring. So if you want to grow your audience specifically on YouTube, keep a spreadsheet of, you know, what content is working well, uh, when people subscribed or when they unsubscribed, when they dropped off the video, different things like that that are going to inform you on making those content decisions. Analyze and improve your content at least quarterly using key performance indicators. That's that's up to you to decide what are your key performance indicators? What indicates to you that you are doing well, that your content is doing well? Is it the number of downloads? Is it the number of subscribers? You know, what is it that you want to see uh, growing and focus on those numbers and do that at least quarterly to make sure that you're staying on track with keeping your content as good as you can make it. And remember, you have effectively a relationship that extends out one way to your customers because you're that, that focal point, and in the other way to the platform. So many of the platforms provide you analytic information, analytical information that tells you how you're doing with your relationship with them. To me, uh, so Shelley has talked to this point, we've we both talked to this point about the relationship between you and your uh, prospective viewer viewer or prospective viewer, one of the one that's important to me is how's my relationship in, in this case with YouTube? And one of the things that I look at to determine my relationship with YouTube is something called impressions. And I can tell how, how YouTube feels about what we're doing based on the number of impressions it's given to us. And basically an impression is YouTube has shown our content, not the actual content, but the thumbnail and the description and the title to someone else this many times in the last month. Well, in one case, you could have 70,000 when at the, at the peak of uh, our a Gypsy's Kiss treasure hunt uh, show, we were getting 1.5 million impressions a month from YouTube. Now that, Sounds like a lot, but there are uh, content creators that are doing much better than that. Um, and then as we started playing around with where we're going, that started falling. We had to find out exactly what YouTube likes about what we're saying. And that number of impressions pretty much will tell you because it's all uh, based upon what they refer to, what everybody now refers to. Like two years ago, this wasn't a word but suddenly now it is the algorithm. And the algorithm is the set of instructions inside some computer someplace that determines what you like seeing. And, uh, and YouTube impressions, number of impressions says you fit into that model really, really well. And if you have low impressions, you better think of something else to get them. And it could be as simple as changing your thumbnails, titles, and description to be more in line with what YouTube expects. But what YouTube expects and what most of the uh, other social media platforms expect is that you are somehow in line with their, uh, and, and I'm going to qualify this, so you are in line with their perceptions of what the major topics that are being discussed today. So if today the major topic is uh, uh, the U.S. bartering with Russia to trade some of uh, our Russian prisoners for their American prisoners, 
that's the topic. If you're doing something related to that, you go up higher in the algorithm, more impressions, higher up in the algorithm. So what they're looking for people that are talking about things that are interesting to other people at that exact moment in time. Yeah. And when you talk about trending topics, they're going to be able to show it to more people right. because more people are interested in what's trending. Yeah. 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 And sometimes, sometimes uh, you don't want to do this all the time. You don't want to fool them because they can tell if you fool them. But sometimes it's just a matter of a really good thumbnail and a really good title and a really good description because that's what the viewer sees when they first see something that YouTube has given to them. So make sure that there is some sense of trend in what you're doing in those areas uh, in order to get the, and I'm, I'm talking about YouTube, but this is true for it. all the platforms have their own algorithm based on trending topics. And for the people on Instagram or TikTok or YouTube that become influencers, what they have mastered is not only the platform, how to use the platform, but they've mastered the idea that whatever they talk about is perfectly in line with what YouTube imagines needs to be talked about based on the other side of that research. Because they're constantly looking at what people are talking about, what the news is, what people are talking about, where the interest is, um, and uh, what you're doing about it. So uh, that's the best way to get in line with all of that. So we published a book on Amazon and it's called Livecast Life, the content creator lifestyle. Part of that lifestyle is getting feedback from your audience and using it to improve your content. And you can get that book at book.livecast.life. Uh, it's a wonderful book full of all of our experience and trials and tribulations of live casting. So check that out if uh, that's something that you want to get into is that content creator lifestyle. So and more importantly, it's not only the trials and tribulations of uh, live casting, uh, it's how to succeed at it, overcome those trials and tribulations and get really <laughs> good at it because we think we're really good at what we do. Mm -hmm. And in, in case in point, uh, over the years, we've honed down our system to two infographics. One is the content consistency framework and the other <clears throat> is the content consistency schedule. And I've put those together in one download that you can get at framework.agkmedia.studio. It's completely free. At <clears throat> I know I have the same problem. And you can on. print it out, put it up on your wall and follow that framework and that schedule until it becomes a habit. And then you are just like a content creator master because it's just following that simple formula. And Shelly has done a really good job of encapsulating, summarizing uh, those two components of the process, the framework and the schedule. So that, like she says, you can put it up on your wall or, or magnetic whiteboard or whatever, and you can get a good sense of what needs to be done without reading books or doing it, you know, you, if, if you have to read the books, if you want to know where we start and how we get through a week up to and including publishing books. Well, that's then, then you want to go to the book. But if you have a good sense of what you want to do, you have a channel, you're trying to figure out what to do to make the channel better. This, these two documents, these infographics that Shelly has produced is a really good way uh, to get you the visibility uh, and credibility that you need in order to grow uh, your channel, whether it's a YouTube channel, an Anchor FM podcast, or a WordPress blog. Right. And sign up for our email list. Uh, if you do, you'll get weekly personalized updates 
<clears throat> you finish that. That's not. <laughs> so when you do uh, when you do sign up for your email, you get not only a lot of information uh, in the form of weekly personalized updates, but you'll have uh, uh, helpful information because what we do is at the bottom of the, of the uh, uh, email, we give you a couple of items that we found in interesting reading on the topic that we're interested in that particular week. You get a lot of behind the scene photos, not only of the work that we're doing at any time, but there's a lot of grandbaby pictures uh, because I have a lot of grandbabies no, to take lot. pictures. Not, well, not, 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 every. not, not so they annoy you. Yeah. Yeah. You won't be annoyed <laughs> by them. They're, they're, uh, they're just cute situations that I find myself in. As a matter of fact, we're going to get some more because mid August I'm heading out to the East coast again to visit the other this week. Maybe we'll have the elephant beauty in there. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a lot of good pictures from our elephant view trip. Uh, you do get free offers uh, all the time uh, and you get uh, information about what we're doing and where to get in more information about uh, uh, how to get in touch with us. In addition to that, you get a link to our store uh, on Amazon where we share all the equipment that we use uh, so that you have a good idea of where to get it. You don't have to pay extra for buying it off Amazon. We actually get a commission if you buy something. But what's more important is literally it's a list that describes every component that's in this studio. And um, and you'll know that we picked it because we use it and, and not just used it and tried it. It's in this studio and it remains here. And we see it every time we come into this studio. That's right. That's all we have for today for the five keys to listening to your audience to create better content. We hope that this information was helpful to you. We do ask for your feedback, please. Email us at support at agkmedia.studio if you have ideas on how to improve our content, if you have questions that we could answer for you in a future show, if you have a situation going on that you would need advice for, if you have some questions about technology or equipment that you want to have in your home, there's any number of things that we are happy to speak with you about and just reach out to us, and we would love to hear from you anytime. Um, and for a different take on what we do, join us on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. in News and Views. We're starting a series on uh, what's what we're referring to as a thousand-year drought. Um, the Western states have been in a drought for the last 21 years, and the last time that happened was about a thousand years ago. And I can tell you all about, if you're interested, and probably I could bore you to death on the topic of what happened a thousand years ago when uh, we had a very similar drought. Uh, Wednesdays, because it's just that old. Because, yeah, because <laughs> I was there. Um, uh, Wednesdays, 7 p.m., News and Views, join us for the conversation. Next week, we'll start taking calls because we discovered there's a lot of people who this is affecting other than just us. But we're traveling again. Uh, we're going into the outdoors. Uh, this last week, we were at Elephant Butte uh, Dam um, uh, surveying the the uh, damage that's been done in Elephant Butte, not only to the uh, dam and, uh, and the lake, but to the uh, surrounding community. So we're going to do that next week up around uh, the Rio Chama. There's a couple of locations up there that we're going to take a look at. So join us on Wednesday night for more information on the thousand-year drought. That's right. Thank you so much for being here with us today for Messages and Methods, and we will see you again next week. Thank you for joining Messages and Methods Livecast Live 2.0, hosted by Shelley Carney and Toby Eunice. Please subscribe and leave a comment or question, and we'll consider your ideas for future shows. Share this podcast with your family and friends so they can learn about current digital marketing practices, too. Check the show notes for links and resources, and please come back again next week.